Peter's kind of quiet today. Some activity, but not a lot. Oh, mine's been jumping this morning. Yeah, mine are pretty quiet. We're doing a podcast today, right? <laughs> Sometime. Sometime. I'm ready to go when you are, I think. <laughs> Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalists John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi, everybody. I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 43 of our Nature-Centered Podcast. And today, well, <laughs> it is the holiday season. Bah humbug. We have the right to be a little choosy on some of the birds that we choose to like and some of the birds we choose not so much to like. Yeah, quite the juxtaposition of the previous episode all about sharing the joy of birds. And here we are talking about birds we love to hate or maybe we just don't enjoy them as much. But when you feed the birds, you just take what comes along with it. But, you know, whether you really love the birds or there are some you don't really care for, yet we've got solutions for those kinds of things to help you out. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of uh, information for you in regards to how to deal with these nuisance birds that you've never heard before on this podcast. And I think you're going to really find it valuable to to help you bring the joy back to your bird feeding. And stick around till the end of the episode, because last year in one of our podcasts, we brought up some alarming news about the monarch population and specifically the Western population of monarch butterflies. We've got some news for you. So stick around for the learning and the fun. Okay, Brian. Well, I don't, the title of our show this week's a little, uh, you know, birds we love to hate. But, you know, so we want, we want to lay it down right there. We actually don't hate any birds. Really, truly, birds are great. But there are some behaviors that some birds have that we kind of don't like, and we consider them nuisance right. birds sometimes. So, and, and it's all over the board and could be different for everybody on cer certain bird behaviors you don't like. some Someone else might like, I don't care. I always like to start off a little <laughs> bit with some fun things. And, <laughs> That's a good and, way to keep your sanity too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There are always other birds in the yard that I really enjoy watching. And, and this week, John, happening at our feeders, what's going on? I mean, I had a five woodpecker morning the other day. Mm -hmm. Now, Indiana, you, you can generally get up to seven woodpeckers at one time, the right time of the year. I had five of them at my feeders in, in the morning. So the pileated woodpecker, downy woodpecker, hairy woodpecker, the red-bellied woodpecker, and the northern flickers. Mm -hmm. So I had five. And then went out in the afternoon. We did a little bird walk together. Yeah. Checking yeah. out an area. Yeah. And we got all five again. Yeah. Just yeah. on the bird walk for the afternoon. That was so much fun to have a five woodpecker day in the morning and in the evening. Yeah. And the, and the difference, same thing in mine, it, it, it feeders. It, it, and it's, it's again, we talk about woodpeckers being the most loyal oh, to your yeah. feeders. I mean, you, you pretty much, if you've got downies, they're going to be there every day. If you've got a hairy woodpecker, they're going to be there every day. Actually, hairy right now is probably the most common woodpecker uh, on repeated visits uh, to my feeders so right cool. now. 
you know, you're going to, we have piloted. So we're very, very fortunate that we have piloted coming to our feeders on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And, and we have the red belly. That's a very regular customer. It's that flicker that gives us that in my, in my case, at my house, mm-hmm. the flicker is the one that if I'm going to have a five woodpecker day, it's because the flicker makes an appearance. They disappear quite often and, and I don't see them on a regular basis, but this mm-hmm. time of year, they yeah. seem to start coming back to the feeder and you see them on a much more regular basis. And you do get that five woodpecker that five woodpecker day. And you and I actually shared a seven woodpecker day many years ago. We were at my house doing some stuff on the feeders and that type of thing. And not only did we have those five, but we had yellow-bellied sapsucker Mm -hmm. and we had red-headed woodpecker come to my feeder. So it was a seven woodpecker day. How cool was that? Yeah, so much fun. And it it is not a, what would be called a winter finch eruption year. But there are folks that are seeing purple finches and red-breasted nuthatches sprinkled around throughout um, the the U.S., especially some up in Canada, because they're kind of leaving Canada, um, that northern boreal forest. But I'm always jealous of those folks that (laughs) generally have purple finches and red-breasted nuthatches on a regular basis. But I'm keeping my eye out, hoping maybe I'll see them this winter, especially coming to my feeders. You never know. So, bah humbug. <laughs> bah humbug birds, let's, right? Let's be Debbie Downer today and talk about these birds. What the hell? Who came up with this topic, by the way? I don't know. But <laughs> someone's going to have to talk to us about that. Yeah, uh, but really, it is one of those things that it's it, you don't want things going on at your bird feeders that cause you grief or. You That's know, right. Get you, get you upset or, and what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about birds that that come in in large numbers and eat you out of house and home to the exclusion of the birds that you really do want to favor and feed in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's things like house sparrows. I, you know, I haven't had a house sparrow all summer long. I now probably have 20 house sparrows coming to my feeders and, and you know, they're, they can, they can really dominate a, a hopper feeder, say. Sure. Uh, starlings. My gosh, starlings. Again, I haven't had a starling hardly at all all summer long. They're starting to show up. They love suet products. They love bark butter. Uh, mm-hmm. They love just about anything, actually. <laughs> and you can get huge numbers of those things. But the other problem with some nuisance birds is the dominance they have over the other birds. Yes. You know, the, the fact that there is a there is a pecking order. You've, you've probably heard of pecking order. You, you hear that with, with uh, fowl, you know, chickens and things like that quite a bit. But there literally is a pecking order in the world of wild bird songbirds, too. And, and so sometimes the nuisance birds are simply because they're not tolerant of other birds. And so when they come to the feeders, they shove everybody else out of the way. And, mm-hmm. and that's a little annoying to some folks. So, <laughs> uh, and there was just a study recently that was just released and, and it was based on, uh, we, we talk a lot about Cornell University and the lab of ornithology and all the great science that they do. And one of the things they do is Project Feeder Watch. And based oh, yeah. on Project Feeder Watch data, there's this great new study that went into all this. Yeah, Project Feeder Watch has been around for a few decades now. Uh, I believe it's about 40 decades. 40. 40 Four decades. decades. <laughs> that was before uh, Columbus right. game. <laughs> 400 years. Uh, and they've been collecting data. And what it's all about is anyone can watch their bird feeders, and you watch your feeders from November to April. And you don't just watch the feeders because it's fun to feed the birds. It's fun to know you have birds coming to your yard. And then that next level is it's just fun to watch the birds and the interactions. 
But Project Feeder Watch takes it one more step and says, well, what bird displaced or was dominant over another bird? So if you're watching your feeders and the birds are happily feeding and another species comes in and says, I want to feed right now, move out of the way. And you mark that kind of interaction down. These two bird species interacted and this one relented and that and or that one won that little interaction. And all that data has been being collected across North America for all these years. So really neat study that that uh, they have now published. And it was just in an article recently, which was really fascinating. I think they talked about how um, the scientific study, the name of it was basically it's about the continental dominance hierarchy of North American birds fighting you know, for they, food they, units. The headline was, which birds are the biggest jerks at the feeders? <laughs> Maybe that's what we should have titled our podcast I think, today. I think Cornell needs to up their title on their papers. <laughs> scientific papers must have scientific terminology. Okay. Uh, but I do like the, which ones are the biggest jerks? And fascinating too, uh, because it's about the, the different species that are interacting with one another and who's dominant over whom. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you think woodpeckers generally come in and no one messes with them, right? Because they, they've got a big bill. And they're used to pecking on wood and making holes in something that's really dense and challenging. Uh, and a lot of times you you look at the overall list and, yeah, woodpeckers can be kind of high on the list of, yeah, if we come in, we want to feed, we're going to get our way. Uh, plus, a lot of times they're big. But there was yeah. some surprising yeah. Some surprising yeah. information because you get the, if, if you happen to have the pileated woodpecker, it's just huge. Yeah, they had a they had a top one hundred list in the New York Times mm -hmm. uh, that you could click through and look at one through one hundred as in regards to hierarchy or which birds are dominant over what other birds, and of course number one on the hit parade was the wild turkey. I guess yes. nobody's going to fight off a wild turkey at the feeders. <laughs> they're they're kind of dominant, okay? They kind of uh, you know out outgun everybody else. But the interesting thing was exactly what you're saying, Brian. The acorn woodpecker was number three. Mm -hmm. That's stunning to me. Acorn over, woodpecker. you know, yeah, this is over the American yeah. crow. You know, this is over the pileated. This is over things like mockingbirds and magpies and and lots of other jays. And it's like the 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 redheaded woodpecker really is the number third most aggressive bird at your feeders. Acorn wow. woodpecker or redheaded woodpecker? Because acorn. acorn woodpecker is pretty up there. Yeah. Yeah, acorn's number three. Yeah, yeah and redheaded. Where did is Red number eight. fall? Number, number eight. eight. Yeah, who so knew? it's way up there, these, too. These are two medium-sized woodpeckers. Yeah. And who knew? That tough little guys. Like, all right, yeah. if I'm coming in, I want some yeah. food. Out of my way. I made it. I woodpeckers number 10. So, yeah, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty. Yeah, you think, it, you think it would be number three, but no. Two, two to three times the size <laughs> difference. And yeah. so, okay, okay, you guys can have it. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a fascinating study. I imagine if you uh, just did a search on the New York Times and jerk birds. <laughs> yeah, you could probably find that. <laughs> you, you can probably read the, the article. But what is very cool, Brian, just as you mentioned, it's all massive amount of data that's been collected from people just like you, our listeners, yeah. uh, in regards to the behavior they're seeing at their feeders. And this has all been compiled into uh, a data set that's been researched and, and analyzed and 
publish this type of information. So that's very, very cool. And it's all citizen science that's brought it together. So speaking of observing at your feeders, let's talk about <laughs> if you are observing uh, nuisance birds that you don't mm-hmm. like. So mm-hmm. again, the birds that we're talking about, mostly starling, house sparrow, pigeon, white-winged dove. Uh, help me out here, Brian. Maybe, other, maybe other blackbirds as well, from grackles, the yeah, common grackle, yeah, yeah. Uh, depending on where you live, boat-tailed grackle, great-tailed mm-hmm. grackle. Red-winged. Um, Red-winged blackbirds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just kind of the blackbirds in general. Um, different people having different opinion. Again, our producer, mm-hmm. Evan, loves red-winged blackbirds. You know, they're yes. very, very cool. I like red-winged blackbirds, too. They are cool, and it's gorgeous when you see that beautiful red epaulets on the, on the bird. And, you know, their call's not too too bad at all. And, and you know, it's, they're not that much uh, of a <laughs> problem like to call. have. Yeah. yeah, most of the time. I usually don't have a huge number. But every once in a while, and in different locations throughout the country, you might get a huge number of these birds coming to your feeder. And they will definitely mm-hmm. eat you out of house and home. And they will dominate the feeders to the exclusion of some of the other birds that you might want to have at your feeder. So just perfect numbers. Yeah. <laughs> just a perfect example of a bird that's a really cool bird. It's just when its numbers get out of control that you have to take action if you want to. So let's start off and, and uh, let's touch base on just what food choices. What yeah. what what do we want to do? Is there a way to control or detour some of these birds by simply what we put out and feed? And and if I may say one of the first things you might want to think about in some cases uh, is simply taking your feeders down for a couple of days. If you get massive numbers of starlings or house sparrows, mm-hmm. uh, taking the feeders down for a few days, it's not a perfect solution, but it might scatter that flock to other sources and force them to go find other feeders and other sources of food and might take a little bit of the strain off your feeders. So that's that's definitely one technique. Yeah. But, but there are foods that they don't really like, as you alluded to earlier. Yeah. And, and besides taking down your feeders... Something else to look at is what are you feeding? And not just what foods would deter them, but what foods are attracting them? Because a lot of times you look at a house sparrow, you look at a starling, you look at some of these blackbirds and including the doves, uh, different doves. uh, A lot of times they're looking for high carbohydrate foods and a lot of inexpensive blends are inexpensive because they have a lot of high carbohydrate foods in them. And millet, that, Milo, lots of yeah. millet, yeah, yeah, lots of Milo, yeah. which is a, a hard BB-sized red seed. Uh, most birds don't care for these things, except the birds we're talking about that like to come in and, and gobble it all up. Uh, so we generally, like wild birds, unlimited foods. We stay away from Milo, and we use mm. millet sparingly. So it's um, very strategic in the foods that we offer, the blends that we offer, having millet, which is very tiny little white seeds. Um, and so, depending on your feeders, a lot of times, um, if dropping your feeders for a few days doesn't work to get them to move on or making sure you're switching out your foods, you could switch to things like safflower, so often known as a solution food. And safflower mm-hmm. is a, um, it's actually one of the, the seeds that is used to make safflower oil or vegetable oil that we consume. But safflower is a white seed. It's kind of irregularly shaped. It's not a, it's not a ball, but it's not quite looking like a sunflower shape. Uh, it's kind of somewhere in between, but it's, it's really, it's almost square. It, it is almost square. Yeah. Um, and it has a very dense shell that's 
very challenging for birds to open unless they have a good bill for cracking open seeds. And then it's got a nice balance of, of protein and fat in it, not a lot of carbohydrates. So a lot of the birds we're talking about generally don't care for safflower. They might pick at it a little bit, but they're not going to come in and devour all of that. So that could be a, a good solution option. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it depends on the again what your target is. Are you targeting right. house sparrows? Are you targeting starlings? You know, some of the some of the like house sparrows have a little tougher time if you, you know, you're feeding a blend, a no mess blend where sunflower seeds and all the other seeds are out of the shell. Makes it mm -hmm. very easy for them to feed on it. If you just use a blend without. Uh, any no mess, you know, with, with the seeds all still in the shell, that makes it a little more difficult for that house sparrow to break into that seed sometimes. So mm -hmm. that's another alternative is to use things that are in the shell and make it a little bit more difficult for things like a house sparrow. Right. Uh, but talking sunflower and having the shell or not having the shell, if you have a lot of starlings that are coming in on a yeah. regular basis, if you take the shell off and you only offer Sunflower chips, the ones that don't have the shell on. Fascinating. We've talked about this before on a podcast or two, that the starlings come and nibble at it, but they don't devour it. Yeah. And that leaves it for the other birds. And sunflower seed, out of any seed that is something enjoyed by the birds, sunflower seeds are the number one seed enjoyed by seed-eating birds. Yeah. So yeah, having chips is a great option to bring in a wide variety of birds, but also in, in be a good deterrent towards pretty much most of the blackbirds, especially yeah. starlings. Yeah, that's something actually, Brian, that you and I, I mean, this has been what, maybe four or five years ago, kind of started just through our own observation and our own feeders, noticing that whenever we put out just pure out of the shell sunflower seeds, mm -hmm. that the starlings would, would pick at it, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't devour it, it, it right. would, you know, Usually you put some kind of a food out and it'd be gone in a couple of hours. And this would yes. last for day, days and days. So <laughs> or, this, or one hour, yeah, <laughs> depending yeah. on the day, just and, gone. <laughs> and we noticed that they were not doing that with, you know, shelled yeah. sunflower seeds. Yeah. And that, that was kind of, so we played with it. We've had other people check into it. It really seems to be kind of a new innovation in the deterrent. Mm -hmm for starlings. So it's if fabulous. anybody out there would like to try that, and if you have the same results or different results, we'd also like to hear that because it's, it's kind of a new innovation and, and, but we feel pretty good about it. Yep. So one of those other foods that um, can get, can get kind of pricey would be suet because suet has a lot of really yummy stuff that the birds like. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, when you're taking out, you know, fat, beef fats, and you're, you're putting nice protein seeds in there. Yeah. It, it can get a little pricey and you don't want that suet cake to disappear in an hour. And sometimes you, that can happen even with yeah. house sparrows, but a lot of times with uh, the blackbirds, uh, especially starlings come in and poof, that can be gone. Yeah. Uh, but there are solutions to that. You know, there's kind of a, you know, the rule of thumb on that, uh, just pure suet, you know, just using a, a suet product that does not have any of the peanuts or sunflower or any of the other additives that they go into a lot of our suets, just using pure suet. The other birds will still utilize it, woodpeckers, et cetera, chickadees, sit mice, but the starlings don't seem to really favor it. I'm not saying they won't yeah. use it, but they, again, won't make that suet yep. cake disappear in an hour's time. The other cool thing, and we might as well use this to transition into talking about feeders. The other cool mm -hmm. thing with, with, with starlings as a deterrent, if you want to feed 
suet or other types of suet. There are feeders and any which flavor suet you want, right? Right, right. <laughs> right. There are there are suet feeders that have the 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 mesh on the bottom of the feeder. So when you put the suet cake in, the only place it's exposed is on the very bottom of the feeder. So the mm-hmm. bird has to come up upside down and grab on, hold on to feed, hanging upside down. Right. Starlings can do it, not saying they cannot, but they don't like it a lot and they're not real comfortable at that. Mm-hmm. So they may feed at it a little bit, but again, they're not going to devour that whole su- suet cake in just a matter of, you know, an hour or two. Right. Uh, so that that's a good way to extend, you know, the life of that suet cake, give it to, uh, you know, give offerings of different flavors to other birds that you really want to attract, have that five woodpecker day and Indeed. keep keep the starlings <laughs> a little bit more at bay. feeders when we talk about starlings we have other feeders that, uh, that that we would recommend brian most definitely um but one of my favorites would be the eliminator bird feeder um and it's in the category of <laughs> well <weight>. named <laughs> weight, yes it is very well named eliminator the it's in the category, category of weight sensitive feeders and it works really well because uh, basically it's it's a tube style feeder with ports at the bottom and the ports down at the bottom have a little shroud that moves up and down and you can dial in the sensitivity level it's kind of like a spring action and dial in the sensitivity level of when a bird lands it could start to close those ports so that there's no more access to the food yeah yeah and i have had so much fun with this feeder (laughs) to to dial it in to allow or not allow certain birds to feed from it and just testing it out and playing with that, I've been able to get this dialed into. Um, I could allow, maybe allow one house sparrow to, to pick at the food, <laughs> but as soon as a second house sparrow lands, boom, it's all closed up. And yeah, then you get to yeah. watch that interaction of, hey, I was feeding, get off. It, now I can't get to the food. You need to leave. <laughs> Yeah, our offices were side by side for many, many, many years, and we had windows looking out on our feeders at the office. And <laughs> I remember when that feeder first came out, and you spent hours playing, playing, playing with trying to dial that in and get it just the right weight sensitivity. Oh, just right. Yeah. Just right. <laughs> but it is possible. You can do it. Uh, so it's very, very cool to uh, well, and have that was... type of feeder. And the nice part is, you know, playing house sparrow weights. House sparrows really aren't in the bird world. <laughs> they're yeah. they're kind of heavy for a medium-sized bird, which means it allowed all the chickadees to come in. I had goldfinches come in. A uh, bunch of other birds could come in. But it, it, it kept the house sparrows off. And it works really well, especially starlings are a bigger, heavier bird for a medium-sized bird. And you can still allow other birds to be able to come in um, and and feed off of that. Yeah, and you know that, that feeder also had a really cool feature, and and it's another really good technique. And that is, you could take the perches off that feeder; they would, yes. they would screw it in and out, so you could just unscrew them. So it became a clinging feeder. You had to be able to cling like a woodpecker, a chickadee, and not hatch dead mouse. So again, yeah. it, 
it made it a little tougher. Not that starlings and house sparrows cannot cling. It's just not their favorite thing to do. And then when you add that right. to the weight sensitivity, it became a very effective feeder for keeping those birds out. So another tip is, is use feeders that don't have purchase or have very short purchase on them. That right. makes it tougher for the, the starlings, especially to be able to use that feeder. And there's most other- of the blackbirds and, and most of the doves too. It works. Yeah. Pretty exactly. brilliantly if you can take the perches off or just have really short perches. Yeah. yeah great that's great it. solution option there. And then there are feeders that are just made to do nothing but be clinger only type feeders. They're they're made yes. without perches. They've got a little ring around the top or around the middle of section so that it kind of eliminates certain larger birds from being able to access the food and and they other birds have to literally land on the bottom of the feeder and cling get right. a toehold on the feeder to be able to feed out of the little tray. You, you know what that reminds me of? No. It's, it's like being a parent, <laughs> like being a parent and going into a parent teacher conference. And here you are as a full grown adult and you're sitting in one of those little preschool chairs trying to, <laughs> trying to fit. <laughs> and that's what that was kind of remind me of a bigger bird is trying to get in there. It's like, I, I don't quite fit. I can't comfortably feed. Uh, so it's, it's that kind of concept. And they're like, ah, oh, forget it. I just can't do this. It's too hard. It's too much work. I'll go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Whatever feeder you have, if you don't want to go with a specific kind of feeder that is all about the deterring options, using maybe your existing feeder or a feeder that works with a cage, uh, we have what are called the on-guard cages at the Wild Birds Unlimited stores. And these on-guard cages have two different sized openings that will allow or deter birds from being able to get in. And it's really neat to be able to have this in many respects, a, a fairly inexpensive solution to something that you're, you're already feeding the right. I got my feeder. Yeah. I got the foods I enjoy to feed the birds. I've got the birds that enjoy coming, but every once in a while I just get this inundation. And a lot of times it, it happens in the fall with the house sparrows, or starlings, or maybe in the springtime with doves, white winged doves or uh, morning doves galore, uh, whatever that is having a cage on these feeders coming in a one and a half inch opening or a, a two inch opening to allow smaller or medium sized birds to get in while deterring some of your other bigger birds. Yeah, exactly right. All right, Brian, any other tidbits of wisdom in regards to uh, how to deal with nuisance birds? Just one last thing, John, and that is decoys. Some folks have, have thought, what if I put up decoys? What if I put up a, an inflatable snake? Or if I put up a, you know, one of those plastic owls, one of those plastic owls that has the yeah, free floating yeah, head yeah, yeah. and to try to deter birds from a certain area of my yard, or maybe it'll help deter specific kinds of birds. Yeah, I think your, <laughs> your experience with those things, because we test everything we can, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very similar to my experience with those things. Yeah, they either don't work or you end up scaring away some of the birds that you don't want to be scared away. So that's not <laughs> right. a, that's not a good thing. One one thing that just you, you did pop a memory for me though that I, I didn't get to, and that would be, you know, one of the things to do with some of these birds, especially your starlings and house sparrows, house sparrows specifically, is maybe, you know, I've got all my feeders predominantly in the backyard, but if I was to put a, a millet feeder in the front yard, especially a tray type feeder. Where yes. do you think all my house sparrows would be going? Whoop. They yeah. want the high carbohydrate foods. It goes back to what's the nutrition these birds are looking for. 
Yeah. Give them what they want, and it'll yeah. pull them off the things that the other birds prefer. Yeah. Not that I want to, you know, encourage massive numbers of house sparrow. I'd much rather deter yeah. and keep my numbers low. That's the <laughs> number one priority. But if it's a real problem with them eating me out of house and home and everything else, yep. I might consider putting a decoy feeder. Is what I'm. Uh, that's what that that was the memory jog you gave me. The decoy feeder. <laughs> there you go. And, and put that decoy feeder out in front to to pull them away from my other feeders. So that's right. another possibility. Right. Another another arrow in the quiver, if you will. <laughs> so Brian, we we, we want to wrap up. I think the uh, the nuisance birds, uh, aka the birds we love to hate, if you will, but uh, wow, uh, humbug. you know, and, and end on a positive note today. Yes. And one of the things that came across our desk, uh, thanks to Evan, our producer, uh, he got excited as to beat the band because he and, I'm and rightfully, rightfully so, so. rightfully so, <laughs> he had come across an article about the western monarch butterfly and and if yeah. people are religious in regards to listening to our podcast they know that we've talked about monarchs a couple of times and the fact that the western population of monarch butterflies has really crashed and was really thought to be on the verge of extinction uh, you know it's been less than we're talking historically millions overwintering on the coast of California, and and the last couple of years they were down to less than thirty thousand. Last year they were down to below two thousand, which so was some, shocking. Yeah, some Absolutely biologists were saying shocking. Yeah, and we actually, I think, on our on one of our podcasts said that you know the biologists are saying that they will not. That's a too small of a population to be able to recover from. That they will right. be going extinct. Well, guess what, sports fans, Mother Nature pulled a fast one on us so this report was talking about you know how many how many were there brian there are a hundred thousand and they're not they're they're not done counting yet yeah yeah uh because the yeah, still not finished with that count so we know there's going to be over a hundred thousand so what we saw two years ago at two thousand yeah, yeah and now be over a hundred thousand is whoo it's a it's a breath of fresh air yeah and it is a great great thing to see that okay so they're not they're not done yet yeah but they're not quite out of the woods yet yeah and so really really exciting to see this really positive news but to know too we can help just by planting more yeah. plants that help the monarchs and and we know monarchs love milkweed they, they have <laughs> to have milkweed for their so for their whole life cycle and so making sure we're doing those native plants for our different kinds of native insects because once we start losing more and more insects we're going to start losing more and more birds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. There is that strong correlation right there. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'd like to yeah, think Brian, it's because it, I'd like to think it's because we did cover it in a prior podcast and we did tell everybody <laughs> to go out and plant all kinds of milkweed. And that because of all that extra milkweed, we got a hundred thousand yeah, monarchs yeah. this year. But the reality is <laughs> they really don't understand what's going on. They, they don't have right. an explanation at this point as to why this population, because California still had a lot of problems that they've had for the last couple of years. They had a lot of fires. Oh, yes. They had the so droughts. many fires. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the plant life was down because of the amount of drought and the fires and everything else. So and then mudslides after all of that. And so that all of that is just it's wiping out native swaths of habitat. And so, wow, where where were all these monarchs? We don't know. We, we <laughs> but hopefully we can still keep making positive strides. There's always hope. Helping them out. There's yep. always hope. And what a, what a, again, we wanted to end on a little bit of a positive note. And I yeah. think that's one of the most positive ones I've heard in a long time. So I think that's about it today. 
We appreciate everyone listening in today and hope that you have enjoyed learning about the birds we love to hate, or at least <laughs> how do we enjoy more of the birds we want to enjoy more of. So mm -hmm. please rate and review us wherever you're listening. We'd love to see those comments and see those rates come in. Absolutely. And, and again, please do join us next time. You're going to be in for a little bit of a treat. Brian and I are going to take a little Christmas break or a little holiday break. And producer Evan's going to jump into the fray and kind of do an annual uh, end of the year wrap up and some highlights of, of the podcast we've had in 2021. Uh, but as always, until then, until Brian and I uh, visit with you the next time, uh, we're going to let nature be our guide. So please be safe and have a joy-filled holiday season. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>